and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that searches out middle ground in life and particularly in the wellness space, though today we're talking about life. Maybe a little dabble on wellness space? I don't know. We'll see. My name's Jenny O'Mine. And I'm Annika Buckle. Uh, as always, it means the literal world to us if you uh, enjoy what you're hearing, that you tell the your podcast uh, provider that via a nice little rating, that you share across social media channels, that you send it to your friends. Um, we're just a we're just a couple of humble ladies doing our best here, but sharing uh, really uh, helps. So thank you in advance. Caring is caring. Um, so trigger warning for today, we are talking about the new Canadian guidelines for alcohol consumption. So if, um, alcohol is a topic that, um, just doesn't feel right to listen to right now, we highly recommend hedgehog videos or cute fuzzy animals, um, does wonders for your algorithm. Just saying, (laughs) um, so take care if that is not something that is aligned with what you want to listen to today. Um, Annika Buckle. We are going to talk about the new um, Canadian alcohol guidelines that came out. Um, I'm, I'm excited about this because I feel are like you? we're going to have a good discussion. Are you? Okay. Yeah. So my first disclaimer is I actually don't drink. So uh, my husband This is I why I think we're going to have such a good middle ground totally. discussion about this. Yeah. This is, so, I love this. So I don't drink. Uh, my husband and I stopped drinking as an experiment in 2019 um, because Dave noticed that after and he, we were never big drinkers, so like maybe one to two drinks a week, anyways. Um, but what Dave noticed is that if he went to like a hockey game or something with some friends, had a few beers, came home the next day and the days after that, he would just feel very antsy and anxious. Mm. And he started to sort of put two and two together and was like, I wonder if this is if it's actually linked. So we did an experiment. And of course I was like, oh, well, I won't have anything to drink if you're not going to. And like I said, that was 2019 and we don't have any, we do not miss anything about uh, drinking and we have no intention of um, drinking again. We also have no intention of fully deciding that because it just feels good for us. Um, It's not something that has affected us from a health perspective. you know, we're really fortunate. It was just an experiment that went well versus, um, you know, something that necessitated was necessitated mm-hmm. due to, um, addiction related issues or anything like that. Um, there has been addiction, um, within my family, uh, from a history standpoint. So it's something I'm, I've always been aware of, but for us, it was just a, like I said, it was an experiment that just went really well. Um, so that's just my sort of disclaimer. So when, when guidelines come out, it was really hard, easy for me to be like, meh, cause I don't drink anyways. <laughs> <laughs> what was your gut reaction? So those of you that don't know, I'm going to give some history here, but there was a drastic reduction in the amount of alcohol that was deemed air quotes safe to consume. And these are now guidelines and recommendations for Canadians. And, um, we're talking, we went from. 10 drinks a week for men or sorry, 15 drinks a week for men and 10 for women to one to two drinks per week. So huge reduction. Well, and, and with a caveat that like not, no amount of alcohol is safe, which was, was to me where I was like, okay, let's, I'm 
going to dig into the science around this because I do drink alcohol. I love sitting down with a glass of wine with my, I was just on the island last week. My best friend and I sat down and like on her, you know, porch with a glass of wine and caught up. And it was just like, for me, it's a very social thing. Mm -hmm. I love, I did like a, I did my first level of my uh, sommelier uh, yeah, course yeah. and like I love pairing wine with food and the mm-hmm. nuance there we visit wineries in the summer like for me it's this is kind of how it fits into my life if I you know never I've gone lots of times in my life when I have had long stresses where I haven't had alcohol if I you know were to tomorrow never drink again like I would be fine but I mm-hmm. enjoy it and I don't necessarily intend to never have a drink again kind of like to what you said Jenny yeah. it's not I'm I don't plan for that you know, and if it, if for whatever reason that had to be the case, then that would also be fine. Yeah. And Dave and I have both talked about that the next time we're in Europe, will we drink wine? And and we (laughs) don't, we genuinely don't know. We just sort of decided the next time we're there, we'll just roll with it and see how we feel. feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, culturally, uh, Europe is just in terms of food and alcohol consumption is just so different from North America. Yeah. Um, so, so to take us back a little bit, so the actual, governing body that is making these guidelines it's actually printed through the canadian center on substance use and addiction and i do think that's important to highlight that these guidelines are coming from the canadian center on substance use and addiction so it's not coming um that that's who is sort of uh coordinated amalgamated the research and composed the guidelines um In January of 2023 is when the new guidelines came out. It, uh, the final reports, 89 page document, it actually comes in three sort of chunks. And the first is like, this is what the public infographic, the second's like, like a, um, bullet point breakdown. And then there's a full technical report. So there's actually three sort of parts to it. The backstory to this is, uh, the last guidelines were in 2011. And like I said, uh, those guidelines in 2011 said men can drink up to 15 um, standard drinks for alcohol uh, and 10 uh, standard drinks per week for for women. I'm just going to find what they call a standard drink just so that we're clear here. Uh, It's either a beer, so 12 ounces of beer, so it's like a can, um, a cooler, cider, or ready to drink, like another can of cooler, cider, whatever. Uh, wine is a five ounce pour. I think wine is trickier because people are usually just pouring it at home and like not measuring. Well, and a five (laughs) ounce pour of a white that's uh, 11% versus a five ounce pour of a red that's maybe 15%. Like those are also different amounts of alcohol. Like totally wine has, I think a lot of variety. Totally. And, and there's also, like I said, cause you're not opening a pre- when you open a bottle or a can, what is in there is what it says on the label, because that's the law. If you say something is X amount of mills, that legally is what has to be in it versus something that comes in a larger bottle that you pour off. Right. So wine, by definition, what they're saying is a standard drink for wine is a five ounce pour. Um, and for spirits, it's a one and a half ounce, um, pour for spirits. Um, so whiskey, gin, vodka, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the definitions that they have provided in terms of the volumes. So in 2011, we see 10 drinks for men per week, 20, sorry, my gosh, poor men. I'm just underestimating (laughs) what they can drink in 2011, 15 drinks a week per men and 10 drinks a week for women. 
So what they did this time around is rather than picking a threshold for the week, um, it's a continuum. So it's a risk continuum, identifies standard drink levels at which risk goes from low, moderate to high. And now the low is considered two drinks or less a week. So notice it goes low, not zero. Right. So we'll talk about that when we actually look at the infographic. Um, so we go from 2011, then in 2020, I'm guessing. Oh, it's September. I was just going to say, I'm guessing before March, 2020, but no, no. <laughs> either, okay. either before March or like at the very back half of the year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not even September, 2020. I mean, that was a busy period of time in healthcare, but here we are. They decided that they were going to do an initiative, uh, to, um, bring the guidelines up to date. So they were well, gonna... and I'm sure part of the reason for that is everybody over the pandemic who That's was a drinker such a good point. that kind of went through the roof a little bit, right? Oh my so... God. I didn't even think about that, but you're <laughs> Welcome right to the perspective of somebody who drank during the totally. pandemic. <laughs> my drinking level didn't change, but it's no, that's such a good point. They probably yeah. were watching alcohol sales mm -hmm. and all of that data um, and self-reported data, which we know people under-report when they self-report, yeah. so, but the sales don't lie from the liquor stores. Um, so they, they decided to start doing, uh, a review. So they combed through tons of different data, um, spent two years, almost, I guess, two and a half, two years ish. And then, uh, January, 2023 is when we get the new guidelines. And what's really interesting is the infographic that the public gets and then the technical document are different, which which you would imagine. Of course, right. First of all, it needs but, to be very simple for the public. Well, it has to be an infographic. <laughs> so I'm going to um, stick it in the chat for you, the infographic. And what I'd love for you is to describe it for us and sort of like it's in particular what where the focus is. Drinking less is better in like bold font at the top. Alcohol consumption per week is the title of this infographic. And then it goes from green at the top, um, which is zero, which is no risk, all the way down through um, not, well, zero drinks per week, not drinking has benefits such as better health and better sleep. Low risk is one to two standard drinks per week. You will likely avoid alcohol related consequences for yourself and others. Moderate risk, which is now we've gone from green to this is kind of yellow into orange. So this is three to six drinks per week. Your risk of developing several different types of cancer, including breast and colon cancer increases. And then we get into red and like black, red through maroon and black um, at the bottom, which is seven or more standard drinks per week on here. They just have seven, eight, and then plus, plus, plus. Um, your risk of heart disease or stroke increases. Each additional standard drink radically increases the risk of these alcohol-related consequences. So it's very much health focused in terms of the risk level. What is very interesting when you read the technical document is there's actually a huge focus on behavior. Hmm. This is very interesting because one of the things that I like took a little bit of a, like picked a little bit of a bone with when I started looking at this was, mm -hmm. you know, all of the initial reporting said, you know, this was a 
um, this was a compilation from, you, you know, six, over 6,000 studies, um, all peer reviewed. It, and, and then you're like, well, actually strict criteria ruled all, but 16 of those studies were ruled out from being used in the mathematical modeling. So then it's actually 16, not 6,000, which, you know, fine, but that those are very different results in my head, like anything else when we you look at like what what is this what is this data actually telling us mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and <laughs> excuse me i think the other thing that's really tricky with death related data is that people die for lots of different reasons and yeah. people don't the standard isn't an autopsy so right. it, it's right so a lot of people die and they don't have an autopsy and whatever their cause of death is on the death report is their cause of death, right? And old age is not usually what goes on a death report, right? Right. So right. there's, and there's very, I would imagine, depending on where you look, like where, how they report deaths and whatnot changes. Um, and I think what I found most interesting about this report is the emphasis on behavior, because what it really made me think of is like early temperance movement in terms of women trying to ban alcohol because of behavior, mm -hmm. because it was undeniable that alcohol caused problems even hundreds of years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. And that looked like, and I mean, you can speak to early temperance in this regard just so well, but I mean, the real Coles notes version of it is if you, uh, there's violence against women after men are drinking, right? Cause it's mainly the men that are going out to, to drink, right? It's not the women that are going out to drink at the time. No. And the, and the women who are going out to drink are such a small portion of the population that you're yeah. not seeing those same knock-on effects that you see with, you know, when men are the only ones allowed to get totally. credit and hold jobs and <laughs> right? perform and so in the, the economy. So uh, the complaints from the women who are advocating, um, you know, for, for alcohol to, I mean, really just be removed. They were trying to get it gone completely, but was that there's violence that stems from alcohol, which is, I mean, that's true or can be true. And that uh, a lot of wages were being used up purchasing alcohol. So it was putting their family position, mm -hmm. you know, at risk because of, you know, because of, in their view, because of alcohol. Yeah. And I mean, on a larger scale where it becomes more problematic, somebody, you know, somebody doesn't go to work, then they're not bringing in a paycheck, right? Women can't work because women have to be inside the house, right? It, the knock-on effect can be very significant. Totally. And you could kind be, of, I should say, could be, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, there's going to be context with anything. But what's really interesting is um, when the different summary reports that I read about this document all sort of had the same take home. And it's that, you know, the the report warns that a disproportionate amount of injuries, violent incidents and deaths result from men's drinking, while mm -hmm. women face steeper health risks um, above low levels of alcohol consumption than men. So we saw this before that women, they've been recommended to drink smaller amounts of alcohol. And it does seem that women sort of face those health consequences uh, more than men do, but they also face the behavioral consequences more than men do as well. So it's kind of like a double down in terms of women's health on both sides of it um, mm. related to alcohol consumption. And I did find that interesting because so much of uh, 
focus on women and healthcare is just not. (laughs) 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 So I was like, oh, bless these people for really highlighting that. (laughs) Won't somebody think of women's health? (laughs) It's, oh, it's not just all in my head. Um, Well, but I mean, this is the other thing. And I don't know, you've looked at this more than I have, but anytime it's a little bit like when we reviewed the what the health episode um the uh, movie i would say documentary movie um <laughs> was you know if you have a one in let's say 100,000 chance of catching something you know with let's say eight drinks a week you have a two in 100,000 chance that's a 100% increase in risk but like yeah. it's still like less than half of a percent you know what i mean it, yeah a big percentage of a small number is still a small number. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting is that this report really goes on to talk about, there's two like big categories of harm um, in relation to alcohol. So acute and chronic harms is how they've sort of separated out. So when someone drinks in excess, um, they don't define what in excess is. And I think that's intentional because what that what excess looks like is very dependent on a person like me who hasn't had anything to drink since 2019. Uh, I think it's safe to say I would take less alcohol to be considered in excess than somebody (laughs) who, who, who actually drinks alcohol. Um, but it it, it highlights here interpersonal violence and driving while impaired. Hmm. And they look at some emergency room stats. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, uh, there's a disproportionate amount of people that are in the emergency department, either related to drinking and driving, violence, um, mm. and all of that stemming from, or not necessarily stemming from, but alcohol is a, is present right. in those patients. So whether it caused the accident or, you know what I mean? You could have all, you could, you could really iron out. It's so case by case, but the, 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 uh, approximately 50% of presenting cases in the emergency department um, over the summer and over Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights are related to alcohol. And that's a large, 50% is a, it's a, a definitely a large number. Because <laughs> Even if it was a small number to start with, which, you know, it's a as, lot. as we know in our conversations about healthcare, it isn't necessarily a small number to start with anyway, but Yeah. And what I know for me, when I look at, I haven't thought about this in alcohol the same way, but I know with smoking, it's like, we know it's so bad for you, but they also make so much money off of taxing cigarettes, (laughs) right? right? Where's the incentive to get rid of it? And what they highlighted here, though, I will point out there aren't numbers attached to this. So Mm. um, I also think, but I also think it'd be very hard to give numbers, but the taxes brought in by alcohol and the amount of money spent on the consequences of alcohol, like it, they're apparently, um, according to this study, the studies show, and they looked at several different studies, the money that it costs to deal with the consequences of alcohol far outweighed the amount they made in taxation. The thing is, is you can definitively say how much money you made when you taxed something like that's all on record. Right. It's It's very hard to to say how much money came from alcohol or, and even if somebody showed up drunk in the emergency department or had with a high blood alcohol level in the emergency department, is that why they were there? Like, did they come in because they had a heart attack? 
Right. It, that Can we was say the heart uh, attack totally was unrelated? Like, right, you, you right. Know what I mean? And well, did they trip because they were drunk? Did they trip because they're like- the Loose, the stair was loose. The, you'll yeah. never really be yeah. able to definitively say, which is why I think they can't put a number on it. Mm-hmm. But I can see if you're saying 50% of the emergency admissions during three days a week and over the summer are in some way related to alcohol, you can see how that number would be a very large dollar value. Yeah, I feel like this, though, does start to kind of to your point there, like that starts to be a little bit tricky, like similar to the way that we talk about, like, let's say, for example, weight and, you know, healthcare spending. It's like you can't always draw a direct line from one to the other. No. And and again, to your point, because, you know, the cause and effect in life is so nuanced, you know, even somebody who, let's say, is a heavy drinker and then has a heart attack. Are they also, you know, oftentimes people drink and they eat worse food. Are they, you know, is it because they ate chicken wings every time they had beer that they totally right. It's there's so much just like with all food kind of stuff, I think, as we are increasingly recognizing it's those the lines aren't quite so straight A to B as it would be nice if they were. (laughs) Well, and I also think that when you look at. Like that, that's why case point, this is a guideline. Mm -hmm. These aren't laws. These aren't rules. These are guidelines. Right. And I think that that is for a good reason. It's a guideline because when you're looking at a lot of these statistics, it's very hard, if not impossible to definitively Mm -hmm. come to conclusions. But I think what's important to note is that even if it's really hard in each of these cases, there is a very large amount of evidence to say that drinking alcohol, especially in large amounts, is is not good for you mm-hmm. in terms of and and I think what's tricky is that amount and what that means per person. Right. 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 Because that's that's going to be a fluid thing. And that's where guidelines are. You have guidelines are something that is taking a ton of information and making a one size fits all, but we know one size does not fit all. Of course. Of course. And I also think, you know, I, um, my husband and I were talking about this when the, you know, the kind of news first came out about these recommendations. Um, and I'd forgotten this conversation, but it's, I, I feel like it's so interesting. Um, one of my midwives when I, um, was in, uh, was pregnant, um, you know, kind of toward the end of my pregnancy, I was really stressed and we were, you know, my baby was overdue and kind of all these things. She said, go home, sit down, have a nice glass of wine. She's like, you know, it's actually, we can't, we can't tell pregnant women, you can have a glass of wine because you tell somebody they can have a glass of wine and they'll have two glasses of wine or three yes. glasses of wine or four yep. glasses of wine. Or so then we just they have to say that to be, it's safe. You can to drink, drink pregnant. anytime yeah, yeah. you want. Right. Yeah. But she said, actually, this is totally fine. And for you, you know, the stressed out person I'm seeing in front of me right now actually would probably really benefit from this. Um, but this is, I think, kind of comes to like the guidelines have to be paternalistic in a lot of ways, yeah. right? It has to be like th- that's what guidelines are. Zero, even if it's actually one or two, because if we tell you one or two, then you'll do three or four, or you'll do five or six, or you'll do ten or twelve. Because if one is fine, then twelve is probably fine, and twelve is not fine, right? And I think, like, I mean, you just nailed it. That's why it's so hard to make recommendations because you have to decide how you're going to present information and what people are going to do with that information when you well, right. when you do present it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't envy anybody that makes these guidelines up, 
But I think, <laughs> and, and you know, what's interesting, and this is just how my brain works. And I, this is literally personal bias. When I see things like you see a rise in coronary heart disease, strokes, um, and cancers with people that, you know, drink larger amounts. Part of me is like, it's probably older people that are drinking larger amounts right. statistically. Right. Like, I mean, right. I don't know. Uh, and those are people that are more likely to have that. Or if you're sitting still, as- but also if you're sitting down drinking a lot, like you're probably not super active. Right. So maybe you're more, and like, again, you're drinking, you're eating chicken wings. Then the next day you're hungover. So you get a big greasy breakfast. And right. And also are those connections, yeah. if there are any, we don't know, we won't we know. Are, we can't totally, totally a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, you know, they do make a note here saying that, um, in terms of sex and gender terminology, um, alcohol has risk effects, influences, consequences specific to sex and gender. Um, And so they do actually separate the two uh, and they say um, the effects and impacts of sex and gender on alcohol use among subpopulations, such as indigenous peoples, older people, sexual minorities, and gender minorities remain under-researched or unknown. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they have a few notes here basically saying um, that there's going to be cases where, you know, people who identify as women are going to um, not necessarily have the same physiological consequences from alcohol consumption because um, physiologically, you know, their liver and their metabolism and whatnot might, may not match their identity. So you might, so whereas, but when you look at things like abuse, um, right. And, and right, then it does. And, and more even probably, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So they have actually teased out the difference between the two, which I thought was really thoughtful. Again, encouraging, you know, that yeah. we're starting to see some of that shift in like the research language and yeah, a hundred percent attention. <laughs> well, they have a whole like subsection calling out, um, sex and gender and how in some cases, um, you know, they can be used interchangeably and some places they can't because Mm of metabolism and, you know, whatnot. Um, so it's really the whole thing I found so interesting because of this huge behavior focus, they have paragraphs about drinking and driving, Um, Mm -hmm. men drink more alcohol than women statistically, and they're more likely to drink in excess. So consequently, and this is once again, I just kept thinking of like early temperance. So consequently, (laughs) men are more likely to be involved in alcohol impaired driving collisions, Mm -hmm. um, more likely to be treated in hospitals and hospitalized for alcohol related medical emergencies. Right. And how much I just of that think is so many like right? in university, so many like you know guys like drinking too much beer and like I jump off that thing. Yeah, I'm gonna jump off that thing. Oh. Like just so used to, they used to like hop the fence and swim in the outdoor pool at UBC. <laughs> Can we just talk about how bad like on all levels? Never mind the breaking and entering. Just from like the physical safety, right? Right. But I mean, this is like, you know, your prefrontal cortex isn't finished, right? Your impulse control isn't what it will be as you grow up, right? I can, it makes sense that, you know, a lot of that connection, especially in this culture, that's still very like guys do macho things and they drink beer and you got to be brave and all of this Mm -hmm. kind of toxic bullshit that comes along with it, I think is probably, you know, that other layer in here too. Totally. And they actually do call out the fact that, um, more injuries, violence, and deaths occur from men's alcohol use, especially in the case of per occasional drinking, Mm. AKA guys that get together and, you know, binge drink Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then go do something stupid. Right. 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 So they actually call that point out 
uh, specifically. They do have a thing here about, you know, pregnancy and breastfeeding and, and whatnot. I mean, we seem to go back and forth with whether it's cleared, it's in the breast milk, is it not? Is it so they kind of have a like a blurb on that that I don't even want to get into because I feel no. like I don't have enough bandwidth to go into that. <laughs> the gist of it is there's what they are saying is that uh, you should wait two hours after drinking alcohol to breastfeed as per this document. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk to your provider. Who's probably going to follow this document because it's a guideline, but anyways, talk to your provider. Um, <laughs> and they even have a whole section about youth because like mm. you said, you have that underdeveloped prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. or not underdeveloped. It just hasn't had the opportunity in, in, in to develop. progress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Loading. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and they say for youth that even for the same number of drinks, youth is going to be under the age of 18, the same number of drinks consumed per drinking occasion, the risk of adverse outcomes from alcohol consumption is greater for youth than adults. This mm. makes sense to us yeah. just based on our anecdotal experiences and what we just yeah. talked about. Yeah. And they say this may be due to several factors, including greater impulsivity, brain, um, less emotional maturity among mm -hmm. youth, lower body mass um, on average, smaller makes sense. Yep. yep. Less experience doing complex tasks that are made more dangerous by alcohol. Oh, interesting. Right? So not just driving, but like cutting a cheese sandwich or hopping a fence <laughs> <laughs> right. and also faster drinking speeds. Youth tend to drink faster. Well, they're not I, sitting and sipping and enjoying it at dinner. Right, right, right. Well, and I mean, that's kind of an interesting point too, because, you know, kind of coming back to that, like, you know, the, the Europe conversation, I feel yes, like I was in, just thinking about this. Yeah. Right. Like a, yes. a lot of what you read, North America really has much more of a culture of binge drinking. Yes. Right. Where in Europe, you know, maybe at 14, you're going to have a glass of wine at dinner with your parents. Yes. But then, a restaurant. You're not, but then you're not going to, you know, have somebody, you know, buy a two liter of California coolers and you're going to drink it in somebody's field. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you, the thing is like, if you, if you've never been to Europe, the culture with drinking, and I mean, Europe, I find in the UK, this is not the case, like, like right. the continental um, right. part of yeah. Europe, like not like it's confusing. They were in the EU, they're not in the EU, but whatever <laughs> the current yeah. EU, um, they, everything's very family and mm -hmm. there's a lot of appreciation for food. Like Europeans are food snobs in like, and I mean that in the best way, in like, the best it, way. Yeah. In the best way they appreciate their food. They appreciate where it was grown, where it came from. And they, there's a lot of thought that goes into pairing wine with mm -hmm. food mm -hmm. and it's about taste. It's about, um, it's not about getting drunk. It's no. about, enjoying the experience. it's the experience and yeah. it's not uncommon to see teenagers at a restaurant having a glass of wine with their family at dinner it's just it's very different we seem to everything in north america and i mean the uk lumps in this too is just so like overzealous when it comes right. to like you just gotta go big or go home and we right. sure do that with alcohol here right right yeah yeah. And I think some of that too, you know, some of that is modeling in Europe, but some of it is when you have that much more kind of laissez-faire attitude about it, you know, it isn't like, oh, I gotta, I'm going to sneak out and I'm going to get this thing that I'm not allowed to have. I mean, it blows my mind. Callie and I were, my daughter and I were just talking about this the other day that it, the drinking age in the U S is 21. Like yeah. you, 
can buy a gun before you can drink alcohol. You can graduate from university (laughs) in theory before you can drink alcohol. I I mean, this it's you can vote, you can buy a gun, you you can can get hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can borrow a lot of money. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it it I think that much like we saw, you know, with prohibition, you know, much like we're currently seeing with a lot of other substances, when you when you make it illegal, when you make it, you know, secret, the problems mm. become significantly, it's like they're exacerbated. A hundred percent. No, for sure. And I think, I mean, you see that a lot with, with drugs, right. Mm-hmm. And you look at like Scandinavian models for what mm-hmm. we have, what we consider illicit drugs versus what, how their models. And it's just, it's night and day. Now the systems are night and day too. So it's right. not as simple as saying, yes, well, in Sweden, point. everything's legal and you can get a prescription for heroin. Therefore it's like, okay, but their whole systems completely different and you their can't safety just... net underneath that prescription their tax system also... their yeah. their like cultural system yeah. everything is different they're different places so yeah you can't just like transplant an idea one or, little like, piece it doesn't work it doesn't yeah. work so i mean they do go into they talk about um heart disease they talk about lizard liver diseases fatty liver um, all of that stuff that you would expect to see in a document um, about mm-hmm. alcohol consumption, but it's, I would say if you scroll through, it's, it's almost equal heart parts, behavioral and physiological. And mm-hmm. I actually didn't expect that. I really expected a ton of data about, um, uh, the physiological consequences of drinking alcohol. Well, when you and read the infographic, that's, that's what's in the infographic. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the the thing is when you so first off when you look at physiological consequences of alcohol this is also tricky because people unless you biopsy somebody's liver people <laughs> say what they're going to say. Yeah. Right? Yep. And if they 100%. say no I don't drink anything, well I mean okay. Uh, okay, what are you going to do? Like you can really right. unless you have family members that are like no he drinks all the time like we right. witnessed that like you can't collect data in that way. That doesn't. It's really hard. Yeah. And I know, I know a lot very anecdotally. I know quite a few people within um, specialist fields in medicine who they're one of the things they recommend and, and do in their personal life is they don't drink alcohol because mm-hmm. in their opinion, it is harmful on multiple levels. Um, I also know a ton that do drink alcohol. So, I mean, it's, I think the hardest thing with alcohol consumption is how socially acceptable it is. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who doesn't drink, but also doesn't have a negative relationship with it. Right, right. One thing that Dave and I noticed going into the pandemic was all of the memes about alcohol to get through the day Mm -hmm. and people thinking they were funny. And people thinking like, like oh yeah. It's a very mommy thing too. Mommy needs her coffee. Now mommy needs her wine, right? Like it's a- Yeah. yeah. And we, we sort of thought like, that's just really avoid. It's it's avoiding a real problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're avoiding whatever, like whatever's causing you stress. You're not fixing it by drinking. No, you're probably making it worse. Even you're if you're making, just making yourself feel worse. <laughs> now, to the same extent, if you think you can like go for a run and remove whatever issues happening in your life, like no, it'll make you feel better in the right. moment, <laughs> right? Like, so I don't right. want to make it sound like I'm demonizing. Most of alcohol. the things we do are just coping, actually. Hundred <laughs> percent, and right. coping is great. We all need coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, some are are going to be healthier than others for for different for different reasons, but I think what is so 
interesting is that if you were to think like, if you were to take alcohol and call it something different, be like, Hey, there's this substance that we've found. And these are the effects it has on humans. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want this to be something that's legal and distributed within our population? And like, you probably would like today, if we didn't know what it was called and you know, it was a new thing. I don't know if it would be as popular as it is now. Yeah. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. It's a good point, right? When you actually think about it, I think what's the kind of other layer on that is as we're seeing, I think, especially there's a lot of conversation right now in BC because we have a particularly nasty supply of, you know, toxic, illicit street drugs. Yeah. You know, banning things also isn't the answer. So, you know, we try to find some middle ground, if you will. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it's really hard. It's not super straightforward and it can't be, and we want it to be, and it's, and it's just not. You know? Well, and it's so entrenched, like mm-hmm. in human culture, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I'm, sh- I guarantee alcohol was discovered by accident, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, I mean, people have been, people used to drink more ale than water because you could have safe you could safely clean drinking ale (laughs) it was safe in the sense that it was clean right not and it was maybe harder to get and bottle and whatnot clean drinking water right and i mean this is thousands and thousands of years people have been drinking yeah alcohol yeah like well but and i'm i don't know if you've experienced this too but i always find it really interesting when people get so invested in somebody who's not drinking for whatever reason oh just have oh, a glass yeah. oh is it because you're an alcoholic oh, yeah. oh. like yeah. first of all it's none of your business second of all like why do you care if yeah. i'm drinking or not actually what if it what if i have decided you know i have a problem what if i'm pregnant and i don't want to tell you what if i just don't fucking want to today well it brings out people's insecurities mm-hmm. too because if they mm-hmm. say if they if if they're with someone who's not drinking, they think that that person's judging them for drinking. Right. Which right. I mean may be true. I don't know. It right. depends on the person. I'm not that person. I actually give zero shits. I'm not splitting the dinner bill with you though for your bottle of wine. <laughs> but like you you know like it's it's yeah. totally you want to have a glass of wine yeah. at dinner with me and I'm not drinking. That's actually fine. Like go for it. Great. That's lovely. I'll for you. drive. How about yeah. that? Like yeah. And I think. I think that's it is there's a lot of, because of how ingrained it is, it is mm-hmm. in culture. Um, it's, it's the default gift. It's the, like the <laughs> amount of times that we cook with like really expensive wine, because like, we're not going to drink it. It may as well go <laughs> in my risotto. Like, <laughs> oh, thank flavor. you for this. I will add it to my stew next week. <laughs> totally. Totally. I will boil off all the alcohol in that and do, enjoy, enjoy the complex flavors. Yeah. Yeah. With my Aborio rice. Um, <laughs> right. And so, yeah, it's, it is very, I mean, interesting is the word to sum it up. I found the document really fascinating because of the emphasis on behavior and behavioral outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think part of what was so interesting about that is that doesn't seem to be how we typically classify things we typically make right. recommendations it almost felt forward thinking in a way because it was looking um it was looking at different aspects versus just just uh right you know one cancer singular. rates and yeah yeah it was I also it was more wonder... holistic air quotes in right terms of how they yeah address, yeah I wonder too though 
I mean, I feel like if you tell somebody like you have a hundred percent increased risk of, you know, liver damage versus, you know, you have a hundred percent risk of a car crash. I wonder, it's a little bit easier to be like, well, a car crash isn't going to happen to me. Well, I'm not going to cut my finger. I'm not going to fall down the stairs. Right. I'm not going to hit my wife or my partner. Right. And I think that's exactly why, um, because people think they're invincible. All people. (laughs) We're either hypochondriacs or we think we're invisible (laughs) or invincible. It's not. No, no, no. Um, And I think that when you're making an infographic for the public, you want them to, um, there's more fear in the unknown. Like you Mm. could be that person that gets liver cancer and you're increasing your risk versus if you're like, you could be in a car accident. You're like, like, well, I'm not going to get in a car. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to drive. I'm not, I'm, that's not me. Right. 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 And I think that's where the choice was made. Um, in terms of the the messaging. And I don't disagree with that when you look at the reasons. how you, yeah, when you look at how you convey um, convey messaging. And I do think it's a big part of it, the mm-hmm. health consequences. I do think that's a, that, that is a big part of it. But um, there's also a giant chunk dedicated to behavioral, you know, outcomes that can come from alcohol consumption. And I thought it was really, really fascinating that that mm. got so it's that that became, um, such a focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really fascinating. And it, I think again, you know, kind of as is the point of an infographic, most people aren't going to read it. Most people are just going to look no. at the infographic and say like, okay, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll change my behavior or maybe I won't. No, um, yeah. but you know, very few people are going to sit down and go, you know, comb through the, the full document. The technical report, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially once it's called a technical report. <laughs> Red flag. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the gist of it is, um, you know, you do you definitely don't drive a car. <laughs> Please and, don't drive a car. Maybe yeah. don't pick up a knife either, either just for good measure. If you're violent, probably you're definitely <laughs> not going to listen to me, but you should not be drinking. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it's just more of a, it was an interesting uh, take home curious to see what the states um if they come out with something similar or not mm-hmm. um super curious to see if europe ends up doing any guy because changes it, anything yeah because again it's a culture. very very different cultural attitude in a lot of yeah. places than than it is you know here yeah for sure so that's fascinating that's where we're thank at. you so much for that i learned a lot i feel a little less like eye rolly about it now so thank you yeah you're like <laughs> okay i do care about the well-being of others fine <laughs> still gonna have that glass of wine though <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to email. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.